Okay, we'll go ahead and get, um, get started. We have uh, counting tonight, I think I'm right, counting tonight we have five Wednesday nights left. Anybody know if that's correct? I think we, whatever it is, whatever it is today, um, anyway, I'm pretty sure we have counting tonight five more, okay? So what I want to look at tonight, we'll pray, and then um, we, I want to look at something that may take us a, a couple of evenings, but at any rate, we'll get into it here in a second. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are our God. You are faithful and true, the everlasting God. We thank you, Lord, for the word of God. It's the only clear guide and light in the darkness that we um, seem to see rolling in on us but lord we still have your light and your grace and your help so help us become more and more familiar with your word and hide it in our hearts that we might not sin against thee in jesus name amen, amen. okay a couple questions to start with here uh, uh, you might think i've <clears throat> kind of lost my mind and forgot that we've, you may think I've already touched on this, but I want to go a different direction. What comes to your mind when I give you the word stewardship? Okay, oversight. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Take care of something that's not yours. Okay. Take care of something that's not yours. Management. Management. Every one of those answers is is right, and it ruined what I was aiming at, because I was hoping that when I said stewardship, it would be word association to money, because that seems to be the most frequent. Um, arena in which we use the word stewardship. We looked at that some time ago when we talked about money, what all, all the Bible has to say about money. But stewardship itself is a very broad subject. Um, the, the core issues, um, stewardship, first of all, comes from a Greek word that just means house law. It's house, it's the uh, household management of household affairs. Generally in the Old and New Testament, it has as its object a manager of a large estate. They don't own it, the owner has maybe hired, or they could even be, um, in a sense, a slave, but they're to manage the entire estate according to policies, philosophy, thinking that the estate owner operates by. And second, with the clear understanding that there will be periodic and, and ongoing accountability required of the steward, of the person who's um, following the house laws, okay? Um, <clears throat> so there's a lot of things when you start thinking about it in life that we have stewardship over and to varying degrees and I want to be careful as we look at this bearing down too hard on accountability because there's some variations but we'll give account for what God's put into our hands and how we have quote managed it okay now, um, I've got at least 
six different areas in our lives that uh, where we receive something from God and he gives us descriptions in scripture how we are to care for whatever that is. And to some degree what the accountability will be, what he's looking for, okay? Um, Let me give you the list. Well, let's just go through the list one at a time. Um, One thing that is committed to us that to a certain degree, and I don't believe God's hard-nosed and I don't want to portray him that way, but time, time is given to us. Now, we don't know the end. We don't know the length of time we have. But God gives us days, weeks, months, years. If it's a normal life expectancy, we have a lot of time that is given to us. And again, without God being a scrutinizing um, glaringly um, at us we'll give account for what we've done in our time have we used it and I personally I think it's everybody in every age no matter what the technology uh, that was available. Everybody's capable since Adam and Eve of wasting time, okay? But as we've moved on into our days, social media started out really, I suppose, with television maybe. I don't know if maybe radio before that. But all of the technological, quote, advances have given us a vastly um, enlarged pool of trivia junk that doesn't matter and we will spend hours and hours a day checking you know looking at Facebook or you know whatever not and you're not going to hell if you're on Facebook okay but you know we we check other people's Facebook's to see that you know, they went to Jimmy John's and what they got on their sandwich. Um, It's hard, I think. It's hard to get into, to describe and to dive deeper than the just utterly, utterly trivial, useless stuff that we spend hours on. And, you know, I will, oh, I'll tease Liz, you know, don't tell her I said this, but, you know, I'll tell her, you know, if you spend as much time in the Word of God as you do, you know, painting up in front of the mirror, you know, you'd be a saint. Um, well, <laughs> she doesn't pay attention to me, which I know is going to, you know, I already know that. Um, but how many people that I've pastored, don't know their Bibles, barely read it, are in a large way doctrinally and biblically illiterate, but they spend massive amounts of time on pursuits that don't matter at all. Not a bit. Just doesn't matter. Now, I was having a really serious, major conversation with Eugene Rutledge last evening on what are the Packers going to do with Aaron Rodgers, okay? Now, that's, that's serious. Um, we visited for, Phil was over hearing it. We visited for three or four minutes about it. What, what are they going to do and you know, whatever. But then commented after three or four minutes, it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter. None of this matters. None of the things that we um, 
dump money in and time and whatever will matter at judgment. God isn't going to question whoever or comment or visit. You, you registered the most sacks in the NFL in the 2022 20, season? Really? Who cares? Nothing of, nothing of this world matters. But how much time are we spending on things that bear no fruit for eternity, don't really honor God, don't draw our hearts closer to God, deepen our faith, deepen our knowledge? Um, I think there's a lot of, rather than saying there's a lot of guilt on everybody, I want to be easy on us all there's a lot of improvement we could make. That, we'll give account for it. For the time that God's given us and what we did with it. Comments, thoughts, before we move on. Yeah. Oh, Phil. Yeah. A lot of time doing that. And that's why we're here. Yeah. And that's what we, you know, and once again, it's all time. And, and a lot of people like say, oh, that's not me. Well, how do you know? Yeah. That invitation has been given to you or you're here to talk of it, you can get involved. Yeah. You know it's for someone else. Yeah. Um, I think it was just Monday, maybe. Um, I went home for lunch, and Liz has just gotten home from going to Club Energize and uh, said she didn't work out at all um, because some woman who she's kind of just casually acquainted with apparently knew she was a pastor's wife. I don't know if Liz knew that she knew, but anyway, this woman just came in and started asking her questions about God and she came in the door and her face was just beaming. How God opened that door and how, you know, she got to talk to this woman, promised to pray for her, some of the issues in her life. Um, and it couldn't, didn't matter to her one bit that she didn't work out. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it does, but you know what I mean. The, the privilege of having God, who's got seven billion people to kind of move around and manipulate, and he brings two people together to the same spot because she was late that day. You know? Um, there is a... I, I kind of hate to use the word excitement because it's been ruined, um, but... There is, there's a privileged excitement about being in God's army um, and his unseen hand and how he works and brings us across people. And that's eternal work. That's eternal. What a privilege that is. That, and God wants us to be people who really our time is given him I, I will do this now you know there's there I think there there are boundaries to everything that we have to think about um, God is not maybe in all of our discussions tonight of the different areas of stewardship where we'll give account I want to give you an overarching verse that we need to remember, okay? It's in Proverbs. I can't remember where. But take, take my word for it, it's there. The King, Jan King James says, Do not be righteous over much 
or newer versions say, do not be overly righteous. Now, God is not saying there, I don't want you to get too carried away about loving and serving me. But he is saying that there is a, there's a, um, almost an OCD about reading and praying and so forth that you can get carried away and get bound. Um, I, I remember real clear decades ago talking with a dear tender-hearted woman who felt like if she didn't even while she was vacuuming and working around the house, if she wasn't always praying and reciting scripture to herself and things like this, that she was displeasing God because that was that. She was vacuuming, but she could have been more godly. That's not normal. Um, God's sane. He expects us to be sane. And he knows that we have all kinds of duties. He knows we have to work. He, he knows all this. So it's hard for me to say what the balance is, but we've got to have one. Okay. Um, <clears throat> now, there are times too, often, when, of course, we have to make priority decisions when it comes to our time. For the Christian, our, our time use priorities obviously need to have God at the forefront. Now, this might not be the greatest illustration um, because, you know, it, it involves being in the ministry, which is a calling that you have to do. I can't tell you the number of times over the years I was still at home that on a birthday, you know, or little league game or a track meet that I had or my sister swimming or whatever, Christmas Eve, more than, more than once, the phone rings, is Reverend Morgan there? And I remember a specific case where a free, several, three or four over the years, Christmas Eves were taken up by dealing with the town drunk where where we lived whose wife went to our church and he'd always get drunk and you know go nuts on Christmas Eve and so you know they'd call the preacher well you'd think you know do you say hey I'm with my family it's Christmas Eve knock it off you know no he would this is my calling this is what I have to do um, but I think it was the third or the fourth time I still remember he came home after being gone for a while he came home says well don't worry about this happening anymore um, he, he said I told him don't you ever call me again drunk period I'm done with you through with it well I, he said later, he knew God told him to tell him that. He says, I just felt clear as a bell. Nail his hide and hang him over hell. So he did. Scared the guy so bad. <laughs> and he asked his wife, do you think he really meant that? And she said, yeah, I believe he really did. Well, he ended up, I don't know if he kept it because he was a wavering guy, but he ended up coming to church going to the altar at the end of a service, responding to the invitation, getting saved. Um, but still, our, our time has to be God's to send us whatever he wants to do. That's stewardship. Second thing that we, we all know that we'll give account for is um, our talents and abilities. Um, especially what God gives us for gifts that we can use in the kingdom of God. Um, I am totally convinced that every human being God endows with some gift that is to be used in two settings. One, 
society in general to assuming people give their hearts to the Lord that it is used in the kingdom of God. Sometimes the same gift in the same way, but other times totally different settings. But God gives us abilities and discovering them is maturity and growth and grace. But then using them and the Lord knows how to just prompt our hearts and kind of move us toward a certain area we could volunteer in church. Um, and it may be we think clear out of our realm of abilities, but it turns out it's a good fit. But also, God's smart enough to know in a society, we need everything. We need doctors. We need farmers. We need mechanics. Um, we need numbers people. We, we need all of these different kinds of gifts, interests. And he planned for us to pool all of our abilities. And whether it's for society or for the kingdom of God, we contribute that way. Um, whatever the opportunities in fact even when we join when people join at least our church um, we have a vow that says um, I will render Christian service as opportunity and ability provide come available it's it's our talents now when Jesus you know we have the parable of the three guys that God gave talents to that's not talents to play the piano or whatever. That was measures of money, um, which is another issue, of course, that we have um, stewardship over. But when I talk about talents, I'm talking about things, um, abilities that we have that advance the kingdom of God. Yeah, Tom. That's actually where the word we use talents today, like to play the piano, yeah. where it comes from. Yeah. It's actually like dollar. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, and his judgment, we remember in that case, was hard on the man that did nothing with his talent. Um, and John Wesley has a little comment in his notes on the New Testament on that parable, because when Jesus got to that third guy who he'd, to whom he had given one talent, and he'd wrapped it up and buried it in the ground and didn't do anything with it. And he came, Jesus said, you know, he said the landowner said, why'd you do this? And he said, well, the response was, I know that you are an austere man, hard, and I was afraid of you, and so forth. Um, the the state owner in the parable said, you wicked, lazy slave, and so forth. Wesley makes a good little remark on that verse. He said, no one who knows God says he's hard, harsh, cutting, cut you short, scrutinize you. God's not like that. He sees my heart. Even if we flop and fail at jobs, our, our heart is in the right place and he knows it. We, every one of us here that have kids or grandkids who want to, quote, help in anything, I don't care what it is, um, we've all had the experiences where, that, A, they don't help. They usually create some kind of disaster. I don't know if it's all the way from cooking to mowing the grass or, you know, to whatever. They don't help. But if we're halfway decent, normal people, we look past that and look at their intentions. Their motives were good. It's okay. Because I, I don't care if they messed up the job. They meant well. So does God. So when we try, even if we fail, he makes it up. I don't want to get too far off the subject, but that one scripture, it, King James uses the word austere. 
uh, you're an austere man. And this is an illustration of poor abilities but doing your best for God. A very well-known, highly educated um, professor of Greek and theology at Boston University in the late 1800s named Daniel Steele, um, famous saintly man, knew a fellow preacher in Massachusetts that was very poorly educated but had gotten soundly converted and loved God and felt called to preach. And he had um, not very many sermons, but he had one sermon called The Oyster Man. Okay, and he was preaching up and down the coast in Massachusetts. Um, and they were familiar, obviously, with oysters. Well, he mispronounced the word austere from that parable. Austere, he thought, meant oyster. So he had a whole sermon about an oyster man. (laughs) But Steele said hundreds of people were converted under his ministry. Um, Now, I don't recommend that in every case that you should go into the ministry if you have no education whatsoever. But it just shows us that if we're all out for God and we give him whatever pitiful thing we have, he can multiply it and he can fix it and he can do all kinds of stuff. Yeah. To that point, I mean, the guy could have put it in the bank and he would have been happy with it. It was like more work to dig a hole. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we will give account for uh, when the Lord maybe kind of tapped us on the shoulder when there was an opening. By the way, I really didn't plan this, but it just came to my mind. Um, Kylie Brown um, talked to me today, children's uh, director, that we need some more VBS people to sign up, okay? Um, we need small group leaders and some of those. We're doing pretty well, so it isn't like we're way, way, way behind. But at any rate, so if the Holy Spirit seems to prompt you, look, I can endure it for three days, to do whatever um, is needed, um, do it, okay? Now, obviously, another area of stewardship is um, our possessions, money. We will give account for what we do with our money. First of all, um, Old Testament or not, tithing is in both old and it is everywhere assumed and everywhere confirmed on through the New Testament. The tithe, God said in the last book of the Old Testament, the tithe is mine. So he said, will, and he asked this question, Um, through the prophet Malachi with unbelief. I mean, God is saying, what? He said, will a man rob God? And the answer is, or the, the response is, well, how have we robbed you? And he answered, in tithes and offerings. The tithe, he said, is mine. So when I give the tithe, the tent... My dad was preaching in a church in Salem, Oregon, one of our denomination then. And he said something about the tithe. He didn't rant and rave forever, but he said something about it. And a guy, thick German accent, I guess a recent immigrant or something, met him at the back door and was just red in the face. Um, and he said, you know, he told, told my dad, he said, <clears throat> I don't care if you preach on that tithe business, but don't you talk about that 10%. (laughs) It's the same thing. Uh, Anyway, so when I give the tithe to God, he blesses me. He blesses me, pats me, you know, (laughs) on the head, multiplies for doing what? Given back what's already his. 
It's like if I borrow your lawnmower and I give it back and you say, man, you're the greatest guy I've ever known. I'm going to bless you and multiply your work and encourage you and give you home in heaven because you gave me my mower back. What? It's, it's yours to start with. That's how God functions, though. So I give you all this. The tithe's mine. Yet when I give it, he blesses me. So that is an obligation. There's been times when, um, you know, Liz and I were, we didn't have her kids yet. She was in Portland State. I was in seminary. Um, and we were, well, in, uh, we had a Volkswagen. And the only way we could put gas in the thing, I pastored a little church that they'd voted to close, and then they sent me there. Um, but anyway, um, we filled that Volkswagen with gas with pop bottles because there was, it was 10, 10 cents, you know, to trade in a pop bottle. And so we'd, you know, we'd find them in the, alongside the road or whatever else in our neighborhood, kind of a crummy neighborhood. Um, and we could, you could fill it for about $2 because um, it held 10 gallons, okay? Um, and we spent, we spent a lot of time um, because we were broke, you know, eating liver and onions, okay? But now, A, I hated liver before I ever knew there was such a thing as eating liver, okay? Um, I can remember my mom and dad using it once in a while, and I, I despised it. Um, but you get, to, you know, we got to wear pinching pennies and trading in pop bottles. Um, but we, we didn't, we never dipped into the tithe. We never said, well, you know, we can go to McDonald's, which was open in business then, and we don't have to eat liver and onions. No, you, we pay the tithe. It's wonderful. I mean wonderful. In times like that, to say, Lord, um, we got some bills coming up. I don't know how we're going to pay them. Please provide for us while knowing I haven't been stealing from him. If I have been robbing him, and then I go, boy, I'm in trouble, Lord. He says, you know what? You are. <laughs> yeah, you are. Um, it's a wonderful blessing to know, Lord, um, I've been faithful. And he said this through Samuel, you, you honor me with your substance. That's your possessions, and I'll honor you. And he'll never fail, ever. Now, let me throw a couple things in here about um, money. And these are, these are, in some ways, I think, fuzzy standards that we have to, I don't know how hard we can be on them. Um, but there are clearly um, frivolous, foolish wasteful ways that we can spend money. And God has put all that into our hands and pays attention to what we're doing. Now, God, God is not a skinflint. In fact, we could spend a lot of time on this. God is the most non-miserly being in the universe. He gives us, Paul said, richly everything to enjoy. Okay, God is not a skinflint. In fact, that my, a miserly attitude infuriates God because he's not like that. He says, I hope open my hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. And he gives generously. That's why he said, I love a generous giver because he's generous. Um, he gives us way more than the bare necessities. A few times in all of our lives, we go through times, even as churches, where you know we're, we're kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel, but we always get through it. And those times, we learn and we see how God takes care of us. But they are... Not that common. I mean, God takes care of us. 
So, he in turn loves people that give like he does. There's uh, wasteful spending. There's, you know, for a lot of reasons, I don't have, this is not a good thing to admit to, but let me put it sugar-coated. I'm I'm working on patience, (laughs) okay? (laughs) Um, There's nothing that bugs me anymore. A, when the card won't work at the gas pump, fix it. But then you got to, you know, go inside for your receipt. And I think, this is why you have this out here, so I don't have to go in there. But you go in there, and then you get behind somebody that is buying, you know, a whole reel of lottery tickets. Just irritate you because it takes forever. Um, and you can't come up with a dumber way to spend money than that. In fact, when I was in Indiana, they did a study because they finally, finally, you know, after decades, finally voted in lottery, which was going to bail all the schools out. You know, it always does. All the money is going to go to schools. Um, so they did a study just two years in. And they found out, now this was before I moved here, which is 24 years ago, but they found out that the average income of the people who bought most of the tickets was $19,000 a year. Now, you know, that's poverty level. I don't know what it would be today, you know, but nevertheless, it was below poverty level. Um, And so you have the state inducing their own people um, to spend as unwisely as you pop possibly can. And then, they're, then, then they have to be helped by the state. It's ridiculous. Gambling has always been considered a vice. And notice how that's exploded, especially sports. Um, it's, it's everywhere on the, on the uh, if you saw all of the ads before the Super Bowl. Just crazy ads on um, $3,000, you know, or whatever. Um, those things that we've always considered advice still are. God's going to give, call us to account for how we've used our money to adequately and faithfully help the needy, promote the kingdom of God, send missionaries around the world. That's that's what we're going to, I'd rather stand before God and have that. That's what I've done with my treasures. Okay? Um, let me get into maybe a little worse trouble. I've got a bunch of T's here, but I couldn't think of all T's. Time, talents, treasures. Temple. Temple is this. God gave every one of us a body. We're not to harm it. We're to, as Paul said, nourish it, cherish it, care for it. Okay? Now, we all know that we're fallen. We're going to, we're, we're, we're going to decay. We're going to die. I don't know what we'll die with, but something will get us. Okay? Um, and I'm you know, trying to just encourage you for coming out tonight. Um, our bodies are fallen in the sense that they're subject to disease. And there's m- much that we can't help. But what we can help, um, we owe God. Paul said, glorify God in your body. The rest of the verse is considered a, what's called a scribal gloss, meaning it was added much later because all man- manuscripts before 900 or whatever don't have it. But it says, and in your spirit, which is the Lord's. But the oldest, best manuscripts simply say, glorify God in your body, which is the Lord's. He owns it. So you see all these signs, my body, my choice. It's not either your body. God gave me that. I am obligated then 
Um, and knowing I was going to give this lesson, I went and worked out at the rec center tonight <laughs> before I came here. <laughs> um, we can't all do that and, and listen. I'm not talking. Um, I, I hope that eating ice cream, Cheetos, and if you have, that I have, a total addiction to dots. You know what dots are? Dots pretzels. And hey, they just came out with some dots pretzels that are um, cinnamon and sugar coated. Okay, I haven't had those yet. Um, Jessica, Jessica, who's, who's hiding back in the sound booth, actually, she's tried to get me hooked on different kinds of dots. Okay. Um, a slavish kind of um, health, you know, can be too much, okay? Um, but I owe, I owe God for my usefulness to do my best within reason to take care of my health so I don't short-circuit my usefulness. Does that make sense? Um, if we, you know, knowingly harm ourselves, and this is where, of course, all kinds of drugs and tobacco and alcohol, I don't have any business damaging my body and, and shortening my potential usefulness for God by harming my body. I don't know what we're going to do now that the long-believed thing that, you know, um, whatever, a little alcohol, a little bit of alcohol every day, makes you live longer. Well, now they've come out and said that's not true. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I'm sure that research comes from people that like those things. Of course. <laughs> Yeah. <clears throat> eating to live. And so every meal is their neck. They're looking forward to their next meal like that's paradise. <clears throat> you know, that's, and you see the ads everywhere. That's what they want you to do. And it becomes a very uh, an experience. Yeah. And of course, a bad experience because what happens to your body? You know, it's like calories in, calories out, and all that kind of stuff. But really, we should be uh, eating to Can I go? Do you th what are my chances of making it into heaven if I eat Cheetos? Is, is that, am I a goner? Or? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, and you know, here's something else that I think about. Um, we have, the church has really very gradually changed a lot of stuff. Um, it used to be, let me give you a fast story. Um, I have a stack of really, really old, well, they're almost, they're 90 years old, little paper, these magazines, that the Nazarene denomination, the Nazarene Church headquarters in Kansas City, um, put out from when they began, which was back in the 19-teens, okay? Well, they had a big convention downtown in Kansas City. And everyone that was there, um, you know, of course, everybody wore suits back then. Ever seen pictures or movies of uh, Major League Baseball in the 30s and, you know, the 40s, every, every man there's got a tie on. Um, it's a different day. But nevertheless, everybody had shirts, you know, suits and ties. But all the Nazarene delegates, they had these little badges that said, you know, Church of the Nazarene and wherever they were from. So what state or whatever. Well, it ended up in the, Na or in, in the Kansas City paper 
that the Nazarenes were having their every four years assembly that year in Kansas City. And they told a little notice that they got from the police. Pickpockets were a big deal then, okay? And so um, there were some guys that they suspected of, you know, they were looking for anyway and trying to see if they looked strange. And there were a couple of guys that had suits on and they had badges and the whole business, but they weren't sure if they were on the up and up. And so they kind of followed them, lost a, shortly lost track, and then they found them in an alley, okay, just around a corner from this big building where this Nazarene assembly was taking place. And it said the police immediately knew that they could not have been Nazarenes because they were smoking. Now, you know, I admit, um, that's how I grew up. My dad said, you, you smoke, I catch you smoking. He says, you'll eat the whole pack. Every one of them. Eat them without water, okay? Um, you don't, you know, you don't smoke, you don't drink. Um, it was iffy even to play cards. There were standards that you had, some of them, I think, extreme, but nevertheless, you, at least you had some. And there were things that you just didn't do. Um, I may have told you this, so I'll make it short. But in the 60s, in the wild, you know, days, and we were living in Eugene, and Eugene, Oregon was crazy, and they, you know, this was the days of burning draft cards and burnt down the ROTC building in Eugene, marching against Vietnam War, smoking marijuana, all that stuff. Um, and there were, I don't know if it was Campus Crusade or it was some, some of the youth Christian organizations of that day. And they were trying to, they had, their idea was go into where they're at, where the people are that you need to witness to. Um, and so one of the girls in the, my dad got on them, the youth group or the college group in our church. He said, no, um, you're going to have plenty of other places to meet people who need the Lord, love them, be in classes with them, whatever you're doing. But you don't go drinking with them in order to, win them well of course they knew better um and so one girl that i remember clearly um was into all this and so she went to a big dance over at the university of oregon student union and you know they had some crummy band you know uh trying to play stuff that the beatles were playing um pretty easy to tell that it wasn't the Beatles but anyway um, she's out on the dance floor with some guy and you know there's a, a weed haze in the place um, half of them are drunk and she starts talking to this guy she was dancing with about the Lord and ask him if he knew the Lord and all this and she reported this back to my dad. She came back and said, hey, you were right. But he heard a few sentences. He stopped, stood there, looked at her, and he said, are you a Christian? And, you know, I think she broke into a big smile. This is working. And said, yes, I am. And I won't repeat all the language. But he said, then what in the blank are you doing in a place like this? Even the world knew Christians are different. Today, that's gone. It's gone. Virtually. But anyway, um, I believe, and I'll just throw this out and then we'll move on. I am a teetotaler, okay? There's no, you don't have to drink, period. I don't care. So don't even talk to me afterwards. Um, if I get to heaven, after I got saved, never touched it, 
if I, you know, if at heaven I find out I could have had a bud, oh well, I'm okay. You understand what I mean? Just leave it alone. Two reasons. One, maybe more than two, are, well, impressionable, maybe new Christians plus young people. Um, It's endorsing it. Second, I think it is, I can tell you this, I could get, I could get maybe if I'd have thought of it, I'd get, um, had Scott come tonight, Scott Matheny, and tell us about the wonderful um, influence of alcohol. Troy could tell us. Two-thirds of law enforcement stuff, I'm betting, involves alcohol. And I've been in homes where fists have been put through the wall and little tiny children, three, four, five, are literally just trembling and standing in the corner and bawling because you've got alcohol. I hate it. I hate every bit of it. I hate every stinking drop of it. Third reason for the, it is a billions and billions and billions of dollars worth of absolute wreckage and havoc. That's all it produces. Then the purveyors of it are nothing but street corner pushers in suits. But they're, they're just as low life as the guys selling you a dime bag off the corner. And they know they're destroying people. We talk all about fentanyl and all that. Obviously, that's no good. But just because it's legal and socially acceptable, it's still massively destructive. And God, finally, who's pretty wise, and Proverbs 23, do not, he said, gaze. Do not gaze at the wine when it bubbles. It, the King James says, moves itself aright. But it's fermented. And it bubbles and so forth. He said, don't gaze at it. And he said, it goes down smoothly. Then he says, for in the end, it bites like an adder and stings like a scorpion. He knows the danger of getting caught up in it and getting addicted to it. Now, does every person who sips a little bit of wine at a wedding or whatever going to be laying in the street? No, probably not. Okay, but I don't need it. I don't have to have it. I'm not going to help these pushers make money off of it. If anything else, I can just not help them. Yeah. Yeah, a lot, a lot of people don't realize there's unfermented and fermented wine. I know. There's plenty of places in Scripture where, and it talks about, there's, there's lots of, both, both Old and New Testament talks a lot about mixing, mixing our wine. Well, what is, they, they would cut it, they would mix it with a lot of water. Um, they, they would dilute it so it was not strong. I, I personally... Um, believe that the wine at the wedding in Cana was not fermented to turn a wedding feast into a walking sideways, slurring your speech brawl. I'll, I'll never believe Jesus would have done that. That wine, the word wine, I have a book, a whole study of the word where, where the word wine appears all through Scripture and the either Hebrew or Greek words. Um, 
So anyway, we don't need it. Um, and w for the wreckage it causes, it's best to just leave it alone. <clears throat> okay. Um, here's another thing that we, we have um, that we, Paul uses a word. He said to all of us, the, the gospel has been entrusted. So God, think of the risk God takes. He gives the gospel message into the hands and the minds and the mouths of all of us to explain it, to try to answer the questions that we're confronted with. Um, if I were God, <laughs> I'm not sure I'd do that. And I, 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 I don't know who I was talking to the other day. I can't tell you the year, but you go back, I don't know how many years, I don't think I have a single sermon um, now of the first, I don't know, 10, 15, maybe even 20 years um, of pastoring. Because I look at him and I think, I can't believe, I can't believe this dud of a sermon I preached. I can't believe I wrote it down and I throw it away. Um, and I was, I just turned 23 and I got turned loose with no supervision. I mean, I had a superintendent, but you know. Um, and these are never dying souls that I'm trying to explain things to and uh, you know, go visit them and ask them where they're at spiritually and try to help them on the path to God. Um, I would, if I were God, I'd have never done that. <laughs> um, it's too risky, but he does. He does superintend us. He does check us. Don't say that. And it takes us 15 times of saying it. Then we finally figure out probably shouldn't use that explanation or whatever. Um, yet God gives that to us. And we are stewards of the gospel. And we're to be ready to give a reason then of the hope that's within us to those that ask us. Our job then is to be spreaders of the gospel wherever God places us and whenever he creates the opportunity. Um, finally, <clears throat> here's another one. I don't know if this, um, I don't think this exhausts everything here, but think of the, the people that we're stewards of. First of all, our families, our children, grandchildren, you know, all of our different loved ones, whatever relationship we have. Um, and depending on where, you know, where they're at spiritually, um, we're, we're obligated to do our best to steward them. Um, and, and I know that there are well, you know the two main reasons why people don't go to church. One, my parents never took me. Two, my parents took me every Sunday. Those are the two reasons why I don't go to church. Um, I know I don't question there are poor representatives of Christianity at home sometimes that put a different mask on at church. I know that. But in the end, whether I've maybe been around people that were poor representatives of Jesus or not, Jesus never did anything to me. Jesus never failed me. Jesus was never a hypocrite. And I'm not going to answer to my dad or my mom or my grandpa who did, testified to being a Christian and didn't live that way. And, and it just, just soured me on the church. Jesus didn't do anything to me or to you. 
and that's who we answer to. So we're to do our best in stewardship with all the people in our sphere of influence. There is a just a, an overwhelming amount of exhortation in Scripture of parents to children, grandparents to grandchildren, to raise them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord and keep that in front of them. Um, I can remember riding along in the car. Um, Jonathan, our oldest, would maybe he'd stay after church Sunday night. You had Sunday night service or you weren't even Christians, you know, um, back then. And he'd help me lock up and shut the lights off, and then we'd go home. And riding up the hill um, in Oregon to our house, a couple miles from the church, often there'd be a, you know, the moon would be right there. And, you know, I'd ask him, you know, what's, what's that? That's the moon. You know, who made the moon? God did. Um, who made the trees? God did. It's just drilling it into them. <laughs> um, it's just keeping at it. Um, bringing God, Deuteronomy says, talk about God and his laws while you're walking in the way, the road. Talk about it while you're sitting at home. It, 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 there's nothing like growing up, um, peeking into my mom, peeking into mom and dad's bedroom, dad had gone to the office, and seeing my mom on her knees praying at the end of the bed. And we were told, I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to pray, you know, you kids be quiet, you don't, <laughs> you'll disappear um, from the face of the earth. Um, and you know, we're always checking, open the door real careful. You don't know what, especially as you get older, there was never a doubt, never a doubt. God matters. God's first. And I don't care how late we start. If we've not done well in our early years, don't let that keep you from starting. We're, that's a stewardship that we owe to God. Now, um, any thoughts, questions, comments before we quit everything is so brilliant and clear that you know there's all right yeah I think we're just waking up so don't worry about it <laughs> That's, I should have given I should have given you a little more notice yeah <laughs> all right well listen um <clears throat> I doubt I'll get through my whole list of stuff, but um, anyway, we'll do our best. Um, we got four more. Okay, it's only three after, so that's good. Um, kids aren't out yet. So let's bow our heads, and we'll be dismissed with prayer. Father in heaven, I do pray that you would keep us sober, not scared, uh, terrorized, but just soberly reminded that we will give account for all those things you put into our hands and into our lives that we will render to you. And I know that you are faithful each day to help us with those various tasks. You, you are monitoring us all the time to remind us to be good stewards so you don't let us stray and not say anything to us. You are always guiding us in the way we should go. Now we pray that you would go with us as we head to our homes and the activities of the next days. Keep our hearts and minds captive to Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. You are dismissed.